This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Dorinda Wood, and I was the costume designer on Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, and you are listening to Trek FM. T.O. Grey Hot. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and I'm back after being on vacation for a couple of weeks. And I'm so happy today to be joined once again by the amazing Amy Nelson and the Jonificent Joe Keegan. Amy, how are you doing? I am doing great, still enjoying my vacation as we record. I start back on Monday, but I just, I'm so glad we're all back together again. Yay, the Earl Grey crew. It's been a few weeks, but uh, I know you guys had some great guests, Christian Alonzo and Duncan Barrett, and those are some really great episodes. So I'm glad you guys kept it going while I was away. All right. So Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Happy New Year to both of you. It's now 2020. It's a new decade. Amazing things like flying cars are going to happen soon, I am sure. And the bell riots in World War III. Hopefully not. But (laughs) The reunification of Ireland, though. That too, yeah. And Joe, I have to say, so we're doing something rare. We usually record on Saturday morning for Amy and me and uh, in the evening for you, Joe. But uh, today we're having to record on Friday. It's 4 p.m. for Amy, 5 p.m. for me, and it's after midnight for you. So thank you for joining us at such a late hour. Do you know what? I'm committed to this podcasting lark. I'm not like hosts that go gallivanting off for weeks (laughs) here and there and everywhere and ask their co-hosts to stay up till after midnight to to record. So do you know what? I'm quite happy to do it for the, the listeners. It's for the listeners. It's it's a sacrifice of love. Thank you. It's so much. <laughs> All right. So let's start out with some Babel Conference feedback. So this was for Earl Grey 304, which was serialized Q episodes. So Amy, you want to go first? Yeah, we have Kimberly Lawler who wrote in and said, great episode. I was primed to think of the Q episodes as a continuum, haha, because of the novel Q&A, which was fantastic and really pulled everything together on the idea of Q mentoring Picard to essentially save the universe. It also suggested Q is behind Worf shifting quantum realities and parallels, I believe. But this episode was so cool in discussing how all the TNG stories kind of fit together. It may be episodic TV, but there was more serialization than you think. I also appreciate how you guys keep making me rethink my long-held general ambivalence towards season one. There's a lot more to it than I often want to give credit for, and now I want to rewatch Hide and Q. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Um, I also have read uh, Q&A. 
it's a great, great novel by, by Keith to Canada that really pulls things together that I read last year. And, you know, of course I approve of any, uh, any novel references that can be made. And I know at least on the episode with Christian Alonzo, you guys, or Joe, you made a reference to a novel. You know what? Since you weren't here, Justin, I thought it would be appropriate to include something about the novel. Yeah. So, yeah. And I've still not read any of these amazing novels you guys keep talking about. So, I have to. You haven't read any? Well, no, I have. Not right? like oh, the okay. ones you mention. It happens that I've never read them or listened to them. So, so. We'll, we'll have a uh, conversation outside of this podcast to see what your goal is for how many you want to read and what I can recommend for you. It sounds like you're going to take Mary's side and beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, just gently persuade <laughs> okay. you. We'll, we'll we'll see if it works. Cool. So, Patrick Carlin says Amanda does appear in the post-series Voyager book, The Eternal Ride, and we see her and Q's son are friends. It was the briefest of comments that he got me to read out, Justin. The Eternal Tide, I think it is. What did I say? Ride. Ride. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, so the, there's apparently a book um, about Voyager yeah. called The Eternal Tide. So thanks for your comment, Patrick Carlin. Another book that I have not read. I know. Uh, Patrick making me happy again with another book reference. And that one is also an excellent novel. So in these two comments, they picked out some of my all-time favorite novels, which is awesome. Again, I'll make a list for you, Joe. Thank we'll, you. We'll see what we can get I'll you to read. i forward to this. So we have Michael Bentley who says, I never thought a discussion could bring out so much richness and so many questions from the Q episodes. It's fascinating how new, subtle aspects of Q's character are revealed in each episode. I've always felt that in Tapestry, Q feels a genuine compassion and sympathy for Picard. This would have been quite unthinkable in the first couple episodes he was in. By the way, Primitive Culture did a great episode called The Mother of All Resolutions comparing Tapestry to A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life. It was fascinating. Although Dickens' story is one of my favorite books, I'd never noticed before its obvious thematic similarities to Tapestry. I wonder if the fact that Patrick Stewart was performing the play single-handedly while still in TNG had anything to do with it. Finally, I love Amy's idea of doing an episode on the Prime Directive in TNG. I think it could be a deep discussion with some passionate points of view. My own feeling is that the Prime Directive should be considered on a case-by-case basis. Letting a whole sentient species die from a disease that the Federation could easily cure would be indefensible but I still think the directive should be followed as much as possible as it's a very important part of Star Trek philosophy, just not totally inflexibly. I'm so enjoying the podcasts and thank you for doing them so often. There are other podcasts I love where new episodes are rare and I appreciate the work and preparation that must go into them. So thank you, Michael, for um, that long comment with so much great stuff in it. We really appreciate it. We're glad that you're enjoying Earl Grey. We love bringing it to you every week. Uh, and you referenced uh, Primitive Culture, which, you know, of course, a great podcast on the Trek FM network. And we had Duncan Barrett on last week and the Prime Directive. Maybe we should revisit that. I know early on the first uh, crew for Earl Grey did an episode on the Prime Directive, but uh, maybe we should do one. What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of episodes that could be discussed and we could definitely have a full discussion about that. The Prime Directive, 176 part series. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we look at it through every single episode. No, uh, there there might be a lot. I mean, maybe we'll think about it because there there are different facets of the Prime Directive. There's for pre warp civilizations. There's for civilizations that have warp. There's you know diseases and wars and natural disasters. A lot of different possible aspects. So maybe we could just 
find an interesting one or two to focus on. Yeah, that's, I think that's the point. There's so many circumstances where you can invoke the Prime Directive and to have it so inflexible, as Michael put it, um, just doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, and clearly they f- the Star Trek writers feel that way because, you know, they're breaking it quite a bit. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Well, thanks listeners for all of your Babel Conference feedback. We really appreciate uh, that you give us great feedback every week. All right, so let's get into the feature of the episode today. So we are going to be talking about genetically designed people. And now I think, Amy, if I'm right, this is something that you had suggested a while back, right? Yeah, it was. There was, I think we had talked about Masterpiece Society under a different Mm -hmm. circumstance. And just sort of the idea came to me about, you know, there's quite a few episodes where we get to see... uh, humans, I guess you would say, uh, that have been designed for a certain purpose and how that comes about and how next gen, you know, handles that discussion. And I think it's interesting to look at them all together and sort of give us this picture about what is it saying about society? Was what is it saying to us? How should we proceed as this technology, you know, starts coming into our lives? Yeah, I think it's a great topic, and it was interesting to watch these episodes. And I think we had discussed what episodes to put on the list and kind of ended up breaking it into two categories. So I think there's one category with four episodes where it's clear that there are people that are being like designed for a specific purpose and genetically engineered. And there's a few more where there are people that have some some rare kind of natural genetic mutation that lead that is kind of a focus of the episode or that that leads to um, some of the discussion around their kind of engineering. Um, so let's talk about the, the first group of episodes. So the first one that we have here is a season two episode, Unnatural Selection. So that's season two, episode seven. Uh, so that is an episode. I think this one's quite interesting because basically I think it's a Federation research facility and they find out that they have these advanced people that they've created their children children, their children really they're like i don't know 12 years old or something but they seem like fully grown humans and they're incredibly strong and healthy but the whole problem in the episode is that their immune system is so strong that it goes out there and you know destroys viruses that are airborne and then apparently continues to alter the genetic code of people and make them age really, really fast. And so they have to figure out a way to to fix that, which they do through the transporter. So um, let me just ask you, Joe, like, what are your thoughts on this episode and these kind of genetically engineered people that we see? I, I've always really enjoyed the episode. I think it's one of the first times where I've enjoyed um, Pulaski as chief medical officer. I like the fact that she she's trying to kind of meet Captain Picard halfway and understand him, and she goes to Troy for advice on that. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's just a case of both of them are really strong-willed and um, maybe don't want to give any ground. Um, and she just has to kind of go with that, I suppose. Um in terms of the, there's one bit, there's one point that annoys me, and it's the the trans using the transporter to reverse the whole thing, <laughs> and they find a, yeah. a hair on her brush that's in the like. Why would you keep your hairbrush in the back of the second drawer down? 
I don't know. I'm sure people do it today. No, I I'm keep sure. my hairbrush in a drawer. <laughs> in the back of the second drawer down, though. Like, she's got, like, eight, eight there drawers. There may be items more important in the top drawer. So, Joe, oh. you're worried about, like, the, the drawer placement the and the part of the drawer? <laughs> I love that. It just I, I did occur to me. Yeah, the, the problem that I actually have with the episode is, so they find Pulaski's DNA in this hair and the hairbrush, that's fine. But what about the people, like the adults down in the facility? Do they have like hair yep. or some <laughs> other sample that hasn't been tainted by, you know, the couple weeks that they've had this going on with them, you know? I don't know. You know, I assumed mm. that the only person being saved was Pulaski and that everyone really? else on the Darwin station I mean, it was quarantined, the kids, and they even said, well, the kids will have to live their entire existence and then die. But no, there was a so. bit of that after that, they were going to then rejoin because there was a, a no. station, was a station on a planet or was a station, a station? It like was the Darwin Research Station. Yeah, it's on, it's on a planet. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. sure, I think. Or maybe it's another. Yeah, no, they are being left there with quarantine and no help. Well, no, but it it says Pulaski's saying if it works, we could use the same technique to save Dr. Kingsley and her colleagues. So I think they do reverse the effects on the adults there, but the children can never leave. Mm. But I don't think they let the adults die. I never got that impression. Hmm. That would be something. But but I guess maybe more more generally, I think there is a part of the episode where Picard is like, you're doing genetic engineering and Dr. King's like, no, 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 we're creating them. <laughs> it's like, hmm, I think that might go against the Federation's uh, ban on genetic engineering, but they kind of wave it off and they're like, oh yeah, just it's fine. So I, I don't know that I think that's, but it, it is an interesting idea because, you know, oftentimes in Star Trek, I think we we see people that might be genetically manipulated or changed, but they're just like designed this way from birth, which I think is interesting. So yeah, you're right. Cause I, I put that down in my notes as well that, you know, yeah, she says that they're created, not engineered. And I wrote tomato, tomato, like <laughs> it's, it's your perception. And even at the beginning of the episode, like Picard is questioning, it's like, well, yeah, these engineered people. And it's like, well, that's Dr. Kingley's Kingley, Kingsley's vision of the future. And it's like, you are, yeah, changing this DNA and who's to say it's better. And that's why I like this episode that we get it so early on, because it sort of just puts out to the question, you know, Dr. Kingsley didn't have any ill will. And we'll see later where there is ill intent. Um, But you're not going to understand the consequences. You can't foresee every single consequence that's going to happen. You may think that, oh, I'm creating these very telepathic creatures. They have this amazing immune system and they're telekinetic. Yes, thank you. Um, That their body structure and, and they're just these perfect human beings like, what is perfection? And I think this episode just sets up the question to lead us to the next episodes that we see later on, you know, because it's just, it really is the question, like whose vision is right and what is the definition of perfection? That's, I, I, now you said that, that's a total canon breach, isn't it? The whole idea that, oh, they're they're creating genetically engineered humans, isn't it? Yeah, because I th- I think it had been established 
previously that there was a ban on on genetic engineering uh-huh. as far back as space seed in the original yeah, series right yeah, that's right that's my understanding yeah um i think it's just a semantic argument um are you engineering people well after like when they're 10 or 20 or 30 or are you gene editing their embryos so when they're born they are born they are created in a way um i, I think that's the same thing doesn't really matter at what yeah. stage or what age you edit the DNA at. Still edit. You know, it was interesting at the end of the episode when they were just sort of talking about evolution and, and changing evolution and trying to control what's going to happen in the future. And it says, well, now we know it works both ways because now this new species of human is lethal to its predecessors. And I thought, wow, that was pretty profound there. Mm. Yeah, I, I I think so. I mean, and in a way, that has been the issue that was flagged before in Star Trek. Like, if you create these these super people, like talking about you know, Khan and what happened there, then they might try to take over the world and and uh, you know be a really bad influence. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it is interesting that that early on in season two, they're they're doing this, but it's something that's the Federation is, or some research station is specifically doing, and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, they're creating people. So I think it brings up some interesting issues. Let's actually go to the the next one, which is also in season two. Hold on, Justin, can I go just ahead? quickly yeah. mention about destroying the Lantry? That seemed a bit excessive to blow oh, up the whole the, ship. Yeah. Why? Everyone was dead. They could have taken it to a baryon sweep, which they killed all their, destroyed all the organic matter on it. Yeah, I, but they hadn't invented that for Star Trek yet, the Baryon Suite. Just irradiate it, irradiate everything. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the the thing, you know, part of what happened in the episode is something unanticipated. Like, oh, they have the super strong immune system that just destroys things that are airborne like viruses, and then it starts altering DNA. Who knows, maybe if you did a Baryon Sweep or some other interaction, that would somehow become would mutate into something else. I don't know. I think the thought was like, what's on there is dangerous to other people and the people are dead, so we can't fix them with the transporter. Would, so we need to just vaporize sorry, it. Would the land tree have been dangerous? It could have been if anybody ever boarded it. I don't know. But if it was the children that were causing it? No, but it changes the DNA. So that aggressiveness that, that you know, that came out from them the antibody i see what you're getting at joe though because the children might infect them but if someone's infected and they don't have any interaction with the children could they be infected from that and i don't know the line tree could be carriers yeah that's a good question i don't think they thought it that that far it sort of seemed like it was airborne so i'm gonna say yes Hmm. okay and maybe still floating around the ship yeah, I mean, maybe it's a bit excessive, but it, it's like a dramatic thing. Like this is done now, okay? And the, and they were just—I I do think it's a nice scene where they just kind of like stand at attention and kind of pay tribute to the people that died there. So it's at least that. It's too late to like, write a strongly strongly worded letter, isn't it? I mean, if you have a time late. machine to send it into the past, okay. it's not too late. But yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about the next episode, also in season two, which is Up the Long Ladder, season two, episode 18. Now, this one deals with genetically designed people, I'd say in the last half of the episode. So this is the one where there's a distress call 
And the first thing that they find is this Bringloidy colony, these um, Irish people uh, who had gone out into space in the 22nd century. I know, Joe. It's <laughs> all the things that they do, which is a whole separate thing um, about Irish stereotypes. But so they find these people, right? And, and they were farming and all of that. And then they find out, oh, there's another colony of people. So they find them like half a light year away. And this is a group of people where only five people had survived when, when the ship landed or crashed or whatever happened. And so they've been a society of clones ever since. And they're having this problem with what they call replicative fading, where the copy of a copy isn't quite as good and eventually they won't have viable clones. So they're looking for fresh DNA. They steal it from Riker and Pulaski. They build some clones. Riker and Pulaski, or no, Riker kills the clones. And then they have this solution at the end where the Bringloidy and these clones are going to interbreed. It's kind of a weird episode all around. But <laughs> you get to see these, these clones. So I guess one question I have is, like, what do you think? Like, they have this society where like five people survive and they want it to survive long term. So their solution is clones because they, I guess they can't go anywhere else or contact anyone else. I mean, Amy, what do you think about that decision that they made? The decision in the end? No, the decision in the beginning where they said we need to clone ourselves. Yeah. So I found that interesting because I was watching it and I was like, what, what are, why is this on the list? And then I was like, oh yeah, the clones. I know it takes like halfway to the episode yeah, to find it. Yeah, it does. Them. And I really love when Worf and Riker are walking through and are like triplets, quadruplets. Quadruplets. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Maybe he's a brother. Well, yeah, they're all brothers. Um, you know, I just think it goes to show how strong survival is to you know, just in human nature, that they want to survive. There were only five colonists that remained after the sun and whatever. Um, so, yeah, they didn't have the sufficient gene pool. And so in order to survive, went to cloning, which I think is a pretty good idea. But unless you go out to find more, then yeah, you're going to have this fading, this copy of a copy, as Dr. Pulaski explains it. And so I can appreciate their desire to survive, but then to limit themselves and not go elsewhere and try and search for other life and other gene pools. I, I got the sense that they their ship crashed and they couldn't go anywhere. Okay, well, the if they have one. the ability to clone, they can rebuild the ship and to get out there. That's all I'm saying. Mm. Quite possibly, but maybe they came to like it too much. I don't know. But what do you think about uh, these clones, Joe? Sticking with the clones, I get the idea. I Imagine having five people, just pick any five people, and you've got the ability to clone yourselves. It seems they must, they must have been a kind of pretty smart bunch of people in the ship in the first place that survived. Well, like the three of us and two others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's hope there's a geneticist among the other two. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it doesn't actually have to do with the survival of like you as this person. It has to do with the survival of you or your genetic material into the future, right? Or collectively for that society. And I don't know if I would make that choice to be cloned because you're kind of setting off a a chain of events that you don't know where it's going to to lead. And I know it's the same thing like when you have children, it's like you don't know what they're going to do in the future or your descendants are going to do. 
But there's just something about it that I think cloning, I don't know, there must be some problem at some point. And would people in a couple of hundred years really want to put up with me again? (laughs) I don't know. Like, I just have this thought, like, I don't know if I would do that. I would just be like, let me just try to live a comfortable life. Amy, Joe, if you want to clone yourselves and, you know, you can live into the future, that's fine. But uh, I I don't know. In a way, I feel like Riker, like, you know, one, Justin is unique, but a hundred, a thousand? (laughs) Yeah, Riker makes that exact argument, you know, when they're sitting in the conference room and Picard's like, you're going to find that people don't want to be cloned because of this individualism that we feel and how, you know, one, and then we find out that Riker has Thomas. And I think that's sort of funny looking at that. But <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, you know, but even then we can see in in that episode, Riker does not like himself. He doesn't like Thomas. He doesn't like that there is another Riker out there. And, you know, it sort of takes away your unique contributions. And so there definitely is a point. And I like the struggle that they have uh, on the episode there. I think there's a question as well. Is it the right decision to clone? Because if there's only five of you, you can imagine conditions might be quite harsh. And what kind of existence will it be when there's just five then, maybe seven or eight people, and you try to build up a a society with so few people? There's going to be limited, the unique and yeah, human interaction. Need- more more people for more roles in society or more variety to life mm-hmm. or maybe more people that can help to problem solve for things. I can I can definitely see that. Now I want to say, even though I agree with Riker about like not having lots of clones, it'll make him less than unique. I've always been bothered by I mean, first of all, it's wrong for these people to basically like kidnap Riker and Pulaski and put them under and take their cells without their knowledge. That's wrong. But I've always felt that it's wrong as well that you have like these clones, these beings (laughs) that are about to kind of emerge as sentient beings and Riker just phases them out of existence. I don't know about you guys, but I've always been bothered by that. Like, yeah, it was wrong for them to do that, but you're, you're killing them, (laughs) right? You're killing these beings what do you guys think he did i was i didn't initially recall that happening until i watched it again today um mm-hmm. i was kind of surprised that pulaski didn't say anything she's like, she gives him a nod like yeah, yeah sure as if it's, <laughs> and she's a doctor yeah as if it's okay um and I, I was reading earlier as well that melinda snodgrass who wrote the episode i think mm-hmm. um she uh, got lots of complaints for that from um, like anti-abortion um, groups, um, like pro-life mm. organizations, um, because it just seemed. But quite if you extreme. look in the episode, you can see that it's like a full-size person, right? It's not like a, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too much into these discussions, but it's like, yeah, maybe it gets into that. But it, but it, you, you can like see the person like through the window. Yeah. I don't know. Makes it a little. It's more human than embryo, so it's maybe arguably a bit less right to destroy it. I don't know, but we get into difficult discussion. But anyway, just when I see that, I'm just like, "Eh, go ahead, Amy. Yeah, it was interesting. Another interesting, difficult discussion was, you know, when Pulaski was like, well, how did you, you know, decrease the sexual drive, you know, to reproduce? (laughs) And, 
you know, did you use punitive laws or, you know, chemicals, you know, medicine to, you know, sort of decrease the sexual drive? And yeah, we did a little of both and it was sort of glossed over, but I'm like, dang, that's, that's gotta be tough to get out of your system, I guess I would say. Yeah, I think that would be, well, maybe it would require some genetic manipulation. Exactly, I don't know, right? But, but yeah, that's kind of an odd thing. Or like um, chemical castration is what yeah. they used to do mm. to mm-hmm. gay people, and they still do it in places mm. where yeah. it's illegal. Terrific. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, like when you get into the, it, it, it's kind of interesting when you get into these questions because, you know, an unnatural selection where you're, they're talking about just creating these people and the consequence of creating these, you know, genetically perfect children is that like a ship full of people die, right? Like there's real consequences. And then for, um, and, and up the long ladder for the clones, it's like their whole society is at risk effectively later on because of these clones and they're willing to steal genetic material and they have to kill the clones. I mean, there's like a lot of kind of violence that seems to surround these things and problems. So, which may take us into the next episode, which is the hunted, which is a season three episode, season three, episode 11. And we did talk about this a little bit on a previous science in, in TNG episode when we talked about super soldiers, but basically in this one, they find that there's a whole group of people that I don't, know if they specifically talk about like editing their gene but they talk about i think some kind of chemicals or enzymes added to their cells or something like that that make them these really super soldiers and i actually enjoy the parts of this episode a lot where roga denar who's kind of the main kind of ex-soldier that's been augmented that you see and how incredibly like clever and hard to capture the guy is there's like long scenes of that but anyway so there's this whole group in in the society that had been kind of engineered to be soldiers and they couldn't really find a way to to uh to change that after after the war and I think it's kind of tragic because Troy finds out that Daynar is really essentially a nonviolent person but that's forced kind of by their conditioning and their training to kill people and he's killed a lot of people he says he remembers all of their names I find it to be you know really a kind of difficult um episode to watch but then also they get to the point at the end where the prime minister wants picard to solve their problems and he's like you know what it's up to you and he they beam away so anyway uh, i think it's it's kind of a really interesting episode but amy what are your thoughts on this one yeah you know this definitely does fit into our discussion because he he says that the or was it uh crusher it said that their cell structures were altered. So they definitely yeah. had this programming. They were programmed to be perfect soldiers with memory, strength, intellect, their reflex reflexes um, were all enhanced. That was this imposed conditioning. They had a dual personality. They were, you know, cunning, intellectually strategic, uh, they could mask their life forms. Uh, it was with psychological manipulation and biochemical modification. And, you know, I sort of wanted to write those things down because this is definitely a type of genetically designed people. And yeah, go ahead. I, I think you're right. Although I think it's interesting. Nowhere in the episode do they use the word gene or genetic. Right. They're talking about altering cell structures, biochemical. I don't know if that was a specific decision that they made, but... 
I mean, I think it is clearly some kind of genetic manipulation, right? It has to be some of that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I found it interesting with this episode that they sort of compare and contrast the two people, the people uh, of Angosia and Luna, that it's like the, um, the, the prime minister, what's his name? Yeah, the prime minister. Yeah. Is that from Cochrane? Yeah, is that no. from Cochrane? <laughs> Where he was like, you know, touting how good they were and that we they want to be joining the Federation and we use reason and we have this development of mind and cultivation of intellect and, you know, sort of showing their progression, but then totally disregarding their creation of these perfect soldiers and that's you know the juxtaposition between those two societies is is just brilliant and it's an i think it's a pretty interesting commentary because basically you know you have this society and they talk about how they're intellectual and thoughtful and all of that but they felt the necessity to create these soldiers in order to to fight a war and it's kind of like they they are saying like okay we're going to change those people to do that work for us. And then they're going to kind of discard them afterwards. I mean, it felt, if I don't know, it felt a little bit like a commentary on what can happen in, in our own world with people that are, that are in, in the military and, you know, have, have difficulty adjusting to life outside of that, or people in society don't appreciate it, appreciate them as much, or um, can kind of, you know, in a way, discard them because it's like okay that's for that for you know for fighting but but our regular society is different i don't know it it just feels like in the episode it's kind of like there's this whole class of people that they've created Mm -hmm. to do this and right well it was absolutely chilling at the end when it's like you know well why didn't you try to reverse the process and the one guy was like well what if we need them again i was like oh mm. that gave me the because earlier in the episode they were saying oh yeah yeah we looked into that it can happen yeah. and, but that, that was a hint that they were like well maybe we could do it but maybe we need them again these people that they're they're just like they're genetically changed to lock them into to being these kind of super soldiers. And it does make you wonder in the future if it would be possible to do genetic manipulation in order to kind of have different classes or groups of people for different roles that they've been bred for, which is a disturbing idea. Yeah. What do you think, Joe? Michael Peller had said that it was an allegory of how we treat our veterans, specifically in this case, returning from the Vietnam War. They've been injured in their government pension gets cut and they end up homeless there's so many homeless and um, veterans across the world who just don't get looked after for working for their country um, and you see what they did at the beginning of the episode they showed the federation all the good things about their society and they hide away right. all the bad stuff specifically the yeah soldiers. because you see the prime minister and he's like our society is so great because of this this and this and then somebody comes by and he's like Oh, a prisoner has escaped. Um, we'll see what we can do about that. Can you help us with that? Like not even getting into mm. like the whole history or what's going on or why they're there or whatever. But but yeah, he wants to kind of sweep it under the rug so that they can get into the Federation. So it's probably good that they found out this was going on, right? Yeah, we do that kind of thing all the time. We try and um, make the place look nice for visiting dignitaries. Like whatever, whenever there's a royal wedding, 
the the locality gets um, cleaned up of homeless people. Like they literally come up and scoop up all the home, homeless people and wash the streets so it looks nice for the visiting paparazzi. And it happens everywhere and it's just a really damning indictment of us as a, a species, I think, the way that we treat Yeah, it's people. one of those things where it's like, oh, a lot of people are going to be looking, so we better make it look better than it usually mm-hmm. is. Right? Exactly. I mean, and on a smaller scale, right, not as maybe destructive, but on a smaller scale, it happens when we know, oh, like somebody's going to be coming to my house. I guess I should, you know, clean things up and vacuum and straighten things up so that your place looks a lot nicer than it does when you're just living it <laughs> by yourself, right? Or people that, um, that hire a cleaner to come in and just like do mm-hmm. some kind of cleaning and tidying. They'll clean their house before the cleaner arrives. So oh, that yeah. is, so it looks good. For yeah, them, yeah, so it's, I don't want to the cleaner to see how disgusting my my place is. <laughs> okay, we have to talk about the Jeffrey's tube briefly. The stand up Jeffrey's tube. What the hell was that? Was Roga Dinar just really small at that point, and it was a normal size Jeffrey's tube? No, or was that a it, massive? Well, I think it's not. Uh, let me see. So this was. No, it was. A, uh, it was. I was. I was joking. It was a massive Jeffrey's tube. It was amazing. No, it is. No, I was going to say, I think we have seen something like this before. Isn't it true that in Star Trek V on the Enterprise A, they have Jeffrey's tubes you can stand in? In fact, the yeah. one in The Hunted, I don't know, maybe the same set. <laughs> Quite possibly. It's the one where Scotty bangs his head on a bulkhead and knocks himself yeah. out. Mm-hmm. and he's walking. Yeah. He's standing up and walking. Right. I thought about that this time, Joe, because I was just like, why do they have a stand-up Jeffrey's tube? Because you usually see like Geordi or Data or somebody crawling in them. And I was thinking... They probably wanted it that way to project more that this guy is like, you know, super, super soldier guy. Like, and and he's just going to like walk and strut. He's not going to like crawl through a tube, right? I, I don't know. Interesting. That's the only thing I could think of that it was more dramatic because he's he's clever and he's doing all of these things and he's really confident. And it might break some of that momentum if he's crawling in a tube. Well, they they know. used that um, Jeffrey's tube set to have the phaser overload explosion. That's true. And it like it goes in slow motion. It does, yeah. Which I found really well, and also strange. he sets it for overload, and it's like ten minutes later that it goes off. Right. And usually you see it happen like. You know, but is that good? He knew how long he needed before yeah, he's it was going to overload. Amazing. But what I really liked was the um, Jeff McCarthy who played Roger Danar is was the chief medical officer on Voyager before he died in the Caretaker. Oh my goodness! You're right. You're right. And I was like, wow, I, I never knew that. that. Dropping some wisdom. Wisdom. Let let us pause for a moment of silence for um, the people on Voyager that died during Caretaker that they never talked about ever again. <laughs> no, the chief medical uh, officer. Those poor people. The first officer. The first officer? And was the chief engineer too? Something like that. Anyway, but no, you're totally right. I didn't even think about that, but but I see his face now, and yeah, he's the same guy. I mean, poor guy. He could have been the lead on the show, but you know, had to kill him in the plot. You know, you know, <laughs> people always find Riker really, really attractive. Yeah, I always found Roga Dinar way more attractive than Riker. 
Is it because of like the little like, no. thing on the side of the Joe, I wrote him. down the exact same thing. I'm like, um, Dinar, he's hot. Like, yes. Because I was watching Unnatural Selection and they had that, you know, the child and he's all this adult and war freaks out. It's a trap. Um, but like the they were genetically designed and not that good looking in my opinion. And then here we have this, you know, super soldier who's super hot. And yeah, I wrote that down. Wow. I mean, we've gone from trying to appreciate the sacrifices veterans make to how hot people are in the show. So well, if you're going to genetically (laughs) design someone, can you just make them a little more beautiful? Amy, it's subjective. That is a subjective thing. How you feel about it. Joe and I both. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Amy and I have decided it's like he (laughs) is objectively hot. Isn't he? Yes. Agree. Agree, Justin. Agree. Justin. No, no, I think it's still subjective. Uh, Okay. And I'm wondering if I'll leave this in. Anyway. (laughs) You should. Okay, so shall we move on to the next one, which is the Masterpiece Society, which I have to say of all of these episodes, the first four, at least in this section, is probably my favorite. Um, And we've talked about a little bit on Earl Grey before. So in this episode, uh, they find that there is a stellar core fragment, which actually looks pretty cool, um, headed toward this planet. And it's going to, I don't know, I think it's going to pass by some distance, but the earthquakes will be, you know, devastating. So they find out there are people on this planet and uh, it's this insular society that kind of hesitates to let them in. But, but basically these people have all been genetically designed i guess by the founders of the the colony originally for the specific roles they have like designed to be a leader or an advisor or a scientist or things like that and they have what they think of as a perfect society and basically the enterprise being there kind of upsets the society and people want to leave because of their exposure and we don't know if what will happen to the society i think this one is is quite interesting because i think it takes the idea that you had an up the long ladder with the clones and kind of expands it into kind of populating a whole society based on the role they have in the society. So Amy, what do you think of this one? You know, I found this one interesting as I was watching specifically for how this population was engineered. And I found it interesting that they used selective breeding and I didn't know within eight generations, would that even be possible to have this perfect society that, you know, this person was the great diplomat, this person understood the constitution and the the intentions of our fathers, and this person was specifically bred to be an artist and a pianist. Like, Joe, is that even possible within eight generations? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. It seems a bit quick. But they were genetically engineered, though. How? They said it was selectively bred and controlled procreation. So it's like if I, you know, if I got pregnant, like that would have to be controlled. It would have to be with a specific person that had these traits. Yeah. um, It's interesting because I hadn't thought about it specifically. But when you think when I think of selective breeding, I think of, for example, like breeding dogs, uh, which over the course of generations, you can do selective breeding yeah, so that things turn out quite differently. That's only my question. I don't know how long it takes for 
yeah. dogs or would take for, for humans. But, you know, I, I got the sense that they had a level of knowledge so they could could tell, you know, here is the gene. It's probably too simplistic to say that. There's probably like a whole set of genes that might help for, you know, leadership or artistic ability or science, if it's possible to do that. I don't know if it is. And then they just would kind of selectively breed for that. And over the course of the generations, if they kept doing that, plus education, right? I think it's two things. I think maybe it's selectively breeding for certain qualities, but, and and I take that to mean that they were kind of breeding in certain genes, um, but then also the education, like you are a leader and they will teach them all of the stuff that they, they need to know. But I mean, it's a question how it's created, but what, what do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think that's a bit of a reach just to do it through selective breeding in that short a time. I don't think you get to the levels of perfection you would be aiming for. You'd have to have some, without being a geneticist, I think you would have to have some more input into editing the genes. See, I think the thing is, I was just trying to take a look in the in the episode where it's mentioned. I mean, Picard talks about breeding out certain qualities, but he also talks about genetic manipulation. And I think the society them themselves, like like Connor, I think talks about it in terms of genetics. Hmm. Um, so, but I think I think Picard's point is that they're trying to alter the genes for certain qualities, but they're, they're kind of keeping out discovery. Like maybe you're born as a person, you don't know what you're going to do. And, oh, you discover that you want to do this or that just based on your experiences, but they don't really have a choice. But also, you know, Jordy is making the point like, well, if I were in your society, I wouldn't even exist because you don't want someone who's blind. And they're like, well, yeah. (laughs) And of course there's a great irony of him as someone who's born blind, saving them with a device which helps them to see, right? But go ahead. Yeah, I love the talk or, you know, his Picard's speech, you know, it's like he's breeding out these human genetics of uncertainty, self-discovery, and the unknown and, and what that is. And it just so plays perfectly with Troy and uh, Connor's relationship because you know, he's seen this, he's experienced this joy that meeting Deanna has brought. And so it's like this wonderment, you know, it's so beautiful that he wants this. And he's, I think, intellectual enough to understand that, yeah, maybe we are missing out, you know, because we have isolated ourselves that we are missing out on this uncertainty and and what that brings. You know, maybe we are missing a part of humanity. And I just, I thought it was brilliant how it was played in the relationship between Troy and Connor. Uh, it's funny when you, when you talk about that and, he, and he's talking about breeding out like discovery and, and, you know, all uncertainty and all of those things, that feels very much like something that, that you would see, I think, fairly often in the original series where they would be talking, you know, they'd encounter a society who tried to perfect things. And it's like, well, you're taking out some of the things that that make life interesting, like ambition and uncertainty and things like that. And strangely, it makes me think of Star Trek V again, like with Kirk, like I need my pain, right? Like there are certain things in 
our experience that aren't perfect or aren't, you know, set from birth that we need in order to really discover ourselves or to have a fulfilling existence, even if they'll be difficult. So I, I think that's an interesting idea in this episode. I think there's just a lot of, of different ways to look at it. And I feel like it's the best job that the next generation did in trying to put forward a perfect society and the problems with it. Yeah, it's like supposedly a perfect society that turns out to be flawed. It turns out, well, it they, they feel like it's perfect and maybe it's felt undisturbed for a while, but the flaw is that it's like as fragile as an eggshell, mm. right? If something from the outside just touches it a little bit, it just kind of collapses. That's the real problem, isn't it? And it's unrealistic to think with, you know, all these... Uh, different peoples out in the galaxy that they would be able to avoid contact forever, right? That's really the problem. True. And I think one of the major flaws in their genome was, if there is such a thing, their fashion genome. Because you remember okay. the music concert where there's the wee guy playing the piano who wasn't, it was nice sounding, but it wasn't very... Spectacular. T- yeah, it wasn't very technical. It wasn't wait, perfect. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about fashion or the way that the music is played? No, well, hold on. I'm setting up the scene. I have issues okay. with the his piano playing was lovely, but for this genetically engineered society, I want to see something that's spectacular, like the the people doing art on um, the Baku in Insurrection. Mm. Yeah, here's the but, th- here's the thing about that Joe. Hold on, the, ahead, the, the fashion yeah. when they're all listening to the concert, and they've got the wackiest choices of clothes. There's every color under the rainbow. It's just yeah, unpleasant. They wanted to show everything because they're that creative. It's unpleasant to look at. It's wow, Joe! Like a rainbow vomited yeah, on them. It's too late to write to the uh, again fashion designer. Yeah. Okay, so here's something interesting I wanted to point out because you bring up the the music performance. I mean, okay, let's set the fashion aside, right? Yeah. But I I feel like the the piece that they choose is is so beautiful and 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 I was actually looking up some some background on it because I know you'd appreciate this, mm-hmm. Joe. And I, I think what's so what they choose is let me look it up here. It's Chopin's um, Prelude and E minor, Op twenty eight, number four. So I, I was I was looking up some information um, on that, and and basically, it, it's it's really meant to convey kind of this sense of despair or or sadness. And even I think when they when they did some research into what Chopin might have originally had as you know, a specific title for it. I think it translated as what tears are shed from the depths of the damp monastery, which is like this really like kind of sad image. And I don't know if they meant it that way or if they were just like, oh, this is a really beautiful piece of music. But I feel like it kind of underscores at this point, they've had what they felt as a perfect society. These people have come in and what's being expressed through this music is kind of their sadness, resignation, despair, and it's interesting that the the title had something to do with the monastery because in a certain way they've kind of walled themselves off from the rest of the universe yeah. and something has come in and and disturbed that and it just feels like from then on there's just kind of this real kind of sadness that nothing can ever be the same way again. I just think it's like like a beautiful way that they use the music to kind of emphasize 
how sad it is and how nothing will ever be the same. So that's just what I noticed this time. I love Chopin. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it was a very nice piece of music. And so I suppose it was contextually appropriate, given what's happening to him. But I suppose I just wanted something a bit more, a bit more technique. Not technique, that's not the right word. Okay. But I mean, you you don't need... Yeah, but you could also see it as their kind of idea of perfection has been broken, so they don't need to aspire to being like the most spectacular they possibly can be, Mm -hmm. right? This is really an expression of how difficult things are going to be because that idea of perfection has already been broken. That's anyway, that's what I think. You know, one other thing that I found with the Masterpiece Society was when they were saying that they are fully integrated with their environment, that there's this master design. And it got me thinking, like, it seemed like they were so intricately linked with the planet, with the grass, with the entire environment. And I thought, man, that is an interesting take on what a masterpiece society would be, that it's not just about us, but it's about our living spaces and this mother earth. I mean, I know it's not earth, but, you know, going to that next level of creating, you know, a good home, on the planet where it's producing, where you're not abusing. And so getting sort of that environmental awareness masterpiece plays along to within this episode. So where you've got like a symbiotic relationship with your environment. Right. Yeah. By the way, it would be Mother Moab 4. Thank you. <laughs> Doesn't sound quite as uh, lyrical as Mother Earth. But yeah, I, I think I think it's quite an interesting episode, and it's the one that kind of, and it's done this before. It's the one that kind of affected me the most, or I felt most emotional about, because it feels like with some of the other episodes, like for for the the hunted, like for a lot of it, there's there's kind of like this action thing going on with this really clever soldier, but there's also a little bit of of sadness about how they've been treated and how they'll go forward. I mean, the clones and up the long ladder are weird. The kids and <laughs> natural selection are weird. I just felt like I could connect most with the people in the masterpiece society i mean i connected with roga Danar and the hunted but it's like you could connect with this whole society and like what they're going through and all the discussions were were really interesting so anyway i I liked it a lot so we also had a subcategory which i don't think we'll talk about these quite as long as as the other ones but it's worth mentioning um some other ones that relate to in this case, genetic mutation. So um, Loud as a Whisper, season two, episode five, which we've talked about before. In fact, Amy, you and I talked about it for a whole episode, I think. Yep. Um, and and really like that episode. But basically you have um, Rivas, who is deaf, and then his chorus, um, who interprets for him. And I, I think it's, it's kind of like, if I remember right, being... It, it, it would be rare to be deaf and also for this chorus to be able to something like that. But no one was specifically engineering that as far as I remember. Is that right? Yeah. It just seemed like these two species, you know, had this symbiotic relationship that, you know, one person needed a voice and the chorus were telepathic and could speak for them. Um, you know, saying it out loud 
does it leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it's like these people are in servitude, lifelong servitude to Reva's species. But but I wonder if it's the kind of thing where they know from the time that they're born that they they have this like special ability and that's just all that they aspire to. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that makes it right, but yeah, it's yeah. I, I, we don't really know how it works on their society or how this arrangement came up. Yeah. I just figured like the entire population of the planet was telepathic. Yeah. They were a telepathic race and there was the mention that there is a, like the ruling, um, line on the planet. Um, are all genetically deaf. And so they use, they employ people as telepaths as to, in order to hear. So they have people alongside them that hear for them, that then transmit what they hear via telepathy. But it was, a, it was a, an odd arrangement to have three people. I know they, they went all that kind of Greek storyline they were all dressed like Greek goddesses, weren't they? Um, yeah. Where there was the warrior, the scholar, and the one that binds them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an odd choice. I don't know. I, I like it. It, it, is, it is an unusual concept, but yeah. I kind of like it for that. Yeah, yeah, I love it for the episode, but when you really think about and analyze it, and yeah, I don't like doing that part about it. <laughs> okay, I can see that. So the other one that's kind of in this subcategory is The Perfect Mate, which is season five, episode 21. Uh, so this is the one where, I guess, in order to settle a conflict, uh, there is a woman that's been kind of, so in this case, not designed, but I think it's like a rare mutation that happens once in seven generations or something like that. Um, so that, uh, when she reaches her maturity uh, and comes out of stasis in this egg-like thing that she's supposed to kind of immediately bond with the person she sees, which would be the the chancellor. And I've said before, I have some issues with this episode. I was actually enjoying it more this time around and kind of sympathizing with where it's going. But but it is one of, of those things where for some reason because of some genetic mutation that that's pretty rare she has the ability or she's an empath and she has the ability basically to kind of immediately bond with someone and and kind of do everything that's possible for their needs for like the rest of her life right um thoughts on this one amy yeah, I think you and I sort of take it differently because uh, yeah. I, I don't mind because I feel like if it's if that's her choice and that's who she is, then it's OK. And I, I get it. We differ. Uh, but it is an interesting mutation. And I sort of wonder, yeah. man, OK, if that happened to me, it's like, why does this have to happen to me type of scenario? And she doesn't. Kamala doesn't go through that at all. She just fully accepts it. She's just like, this is who I am, right? Yeah, Yeah. and that she's okay being in stasis until she gets delivered to this man. Okay, that I have issues with. But (laughs) her choice of doing it, I feel, since it is her choice, is okay. But it is definitely... Uh, an interesting mutation that we see just as loud as a whisper. Yeah, I mean, in a certain way, 
it's not really her choice because her genetics is dictating that that's just how she is. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah, but, but there are a lot of things that, that genetically we might be like, and don't necessarily have, have a choice in that, but I don't know. It's something that affects your like entire existence and who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. I, it, yeah, it's always, uh, kind of rubbed me a little bit wrong, but seeing it this time, I was like, all right, I, I can kind of see the arguments that they're putting forward for it. And she's kind of saying like, this is how I am. Of course, the sad part of the episode is that she finds out she doesn't really love the man she's going to marry and that she's really in love with Picard. So that's the sad part of it. And, but she's like, well, you know, got to settle this conflict. So that part is, is tragic. But Joe, I want to get your thoughts on this episode. So on this planet, male empathic metamorphs are way more common and it's the Apparently, females yeah. that are very very rare and they need a female empathic metamorph in order to seal the deal with this other um, planet um, so she her special ability genetically is that she um, will be able to She's got a genetic aptitude to meet the desires of any man she is with. That's what it says. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's fine. That is. That doesn't mean that she's obviously going to have to go and live with this guy that doesn't love her. It just means that she has this ability. So, but she's been steered from a very young age to do this for her society, which kind of takes away the choice of her doesn't it well i I think like at at the end of the episode it's kind of like if she really had a choice she would probably choose picard but that's not going to happen Mm -hmm. partly because she feels this duty and obligation to settle this conflict so that more people don't die and that picard you know says no yeah and and picard is just like we can't do this you know (laughs) like I, i mean and of course the sad thing as well is that this guy Chancellor Ulrich, I think it is, is more interested in trade agreements than her. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, I, I don't know, like a, it seems like a lot of these episodes about genetically designed or genet- people with rare genetic mutations are tragic. So there's like the tragedy of like Kamala marrying someone who she doesn't love. There's a tragedy in Loud of It's a Whisper when Reva's chorus is murdered. <laughs> There's the tragedy in the Masterpiece Society because, you know, things are never going to be the same and people leave. Um, In The Hunted, it's kind of interesting because the tragedy kind of has happened before and is ongoing, but maybe it'll be better in the future. Like, and same for Up the Long Ladder, like, oh, maybe we can have uh, something to, uh, to make this better and an unnatural selection. It's like... Yeah, these children are never going to leave. <laughs> so there's kind of like a mixture of tragedy in a lot of these things. And it feels like the message a lot of times is like, let's be really cautious if we're talking about any kind of genetic manipulation or trying to take advantage of genetic mutations, I guess. I don't know. I think when we say that she's genetically predisposed to kind of pleasing whoever she's with, I think we naturally see that as having a sexual component. But if it's if what pleases Chancellor Ulrich is to get the trade deals done, then that is what she's going to help do. 
rather than thinking that she's a way off being in this loveless relationship and not being with Picard. But, but I think the way the way that it's played in the episode is seems to be that it's strictly sexual or strictly romantic love kind of thing, right? Because whenever you see her having that effect, that's what it relates to in the episode. Mm. But yeah, it could have been different, right? Like, oh, but 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 the thing also with the episode is that after I think this female metamorph gets to a certain level of her sexual maturity, then that's when she imprints on a person. But I think because it takes a while for Ulrich to get there, it actually happens with Picard. So it can't happen with Ulrich. Does she not say that? Right. Does she not say that she's already imprinted on Picard? That's yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Hmm. But I really feel for Captain Picard in this one. Yeah. It's like, oh, is that could, she was the one and now she's gone. Yeah, there's there's other ones as well yes. for Picard, Crusher, Darren, Darren, Vosh, etc. Not Vosh. I don't feel about Vosh. Uh, we'll have a discussion about that another way, another day. All right. So we've talked about these episodes for them about genetically designed people, too, about uh, people who I guess have a rare genetic mutation that affects them. So let's go to final thoughts. Um, Amy, let's go to your final thoughts on this. You know, just focusing on the first four, I found it interesting to see this progression again, sort of, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like we, we get and are introduced to an unnatural selection and how genetically changing these children and the unintended consequences, because this virus is just going to go out and attack and then it's going to cause arthritis and age people and then people die and you're sort of reverse engineering things because they're killing their, you know, their makers, if you will. So it's a, a cautionary tell. And then we get up the long ladder where this is a matter of survival. These people have five people, and so they're going to survive by cloning. And again, getting this I wouldn't say unknown consequence because you'd know with a clone, a copy of a copy, there's going to be this fading. So again, this cautionary tell of, you know, how are you going to continue and, and what's going to be this perfect thing. And then with the hunted, they're trying to create this perfect soldier. I think you see a lot in these episodes, this idea of what is perfect. And especially in Masterpiece Society, where they do have this perfect society that has been functioning and is so successful. And you're thinking, man, this is, this is it. This is what we want to become. But then we see it fall apart, you know, at the end of the episode. And, you know, they're, they're, they have lost a part of what makes us human. So going through the progression, I think, is very interesting. And as we, in our century, look at what technology has to offer and what are we willing to change in ourselves, I think is very interesting. And there's a lot of cautionary tell that we can learn from the next gen. Yeah. Uh, Joe, your thoughts? It's, you know, anytime there's science in Star Trek, which is a lot of the time, you know, I'm going to be there for it and I'm going to naturally just love it. However, I think with there's quite a lot of talk in the next generation about or in star trek in general about editing genes or um genetic engineering and it's i think maybe at the time in the 80s 
it was, gene therapy was kind of in its infancy and it was that new technology of the future. So we're going to write about it and what it might be like in 400 years' time. But now, like, gene gene editing is a new big thing. And just the other day, on the 30th of December, that Chinese um, biophysicist got jailed for three years because in 2017, I think it was, he edited the genes of some embryos to make them more resistant um, to the HIV virus. And then those embryos were implanted and brought to term and two young children were born. Much to the chagrin of the international kind of medical community that he basically did genetic engineering without anybody knowing. Um, And also today there was an issue in Vanity Fair of the Hive podcast um, talking about, well, the 2020s be the decade of gene editing. Um, so I think we're right at we're at a point which is quite appropriate for this the nature of this podcast. Um, we're at a point where we're going to be doing loads of amazing things with gene editing, um, potentially terrifying things because you know if science produces it, then big governments will want it to do other things with that might not be so good for society. Wow, all those were really recent. We, we may have to have you give us a genetic engineering update periodically on this podcast. But yeah, it, I, I mean, I think what you're saying, uh, Joe and Amy, gets to kind of two levels. So there, there is kind of, you know, the dramatic levels of the episode in, in these people and what they're going through and the kind of striving for perfection. But then there's also, you know, the real world part, which is, well, what happens when we get into those things? And it's quite possible in this decade, we may have to face some of those challenges or or think about what that means. Or maybe there will be people that will say, you know, we need to create a perfect society and how we react to that. So I think there's a lot in these episodes to think about. Um, as I had put together the list, I think it was interesting that all of these episodes are in seasons two, three, and five. So there was like this really concentrated interest for some reason in in those seasons. Um, someone was was thinking about it. I mean, and of course, in other parts of Star Trek, they're they do talk about uh, genetic engineering. I mean, throughout probably every single um, series in 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 Star Trek, um, because it is something that you know, we may be getting to a point that we really need to think uh, closely about. So, yeah, I think this is a great topic and we'll be interested listeners in in what you think about these episodes, the issues that they bring up or the the science that's in them or, you know, what you think we have in store for the future. Um, All right. So let's talk about a preview of next week's episode. So next week we will be going back to our deleted scene series, to talk about season five, which I think is exciting because there's lots of great episodes in season five. And I haven't seen any of the deleted scenes. So I always look forward to this. How about you guys? And there's a there's a deleted scene from The Perfect Mate. Oh, that's oh. appropriate. All right. I'll have to, yeah, we'll, we'll have to check that out. And I think it's it's really exciting that we'll be continuing that series. So, so listeners, certainly if you have DVDs or Blu-rays with deleted scenes, Uh, Go ahead and watch that, and we'll talk about it next week. 
Well, it's been so much fun talking about genetically designed people in TNG, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM. To the journey! I was going to ask this a little bit later, but while we're talking about the Doctor and Seven, let's talk about Voyager relationships. Mm. Are you... We'll do a quick quick thumbs up, thumbs down. Doctor Seven, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Okay, interesting. How about Chakotay Janeway? Uh, uh, Um... I like the idea, the, but I also don't... The coin is on its edge. Yeah, but I also don't like the idea of the captain and the first officer being in a relationship. The ready room. I mean, I said, okay, sooner. Back to all those people for five or six days before. I thought, oh, <laughs> God, they come up with another thing? They come up with another thing. I remember when Go Big Red was just the big, oh, simple yeah. thing. Okay. <laughs> Earl Grey. Uh, they through want which, us you know, to be with them. The oh, you, yes. you guys, you guys are just taking it to the extreme now. Just I... no. <laughs> no, no. Joe and I are right. <laughs> Kimberly and I are right. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Why are you wanting to podcast and to be on the Edge? You had no choice. Yeah, so, uh, Oops, I, that you get that me. feeling? That's your arm. I love the sound of my own Riding voice. <laughs> no, um, so. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find our show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. So guys, I think you saw this on my Facebook that for Christmas I had gotten Star Trek Mad Libs. Yeah, I meant to ask. I've so never if, heard of this before, and I googled it. You don't know what a Mad Lib is? I've never heard of Mad Libs before. Okay, so Aww. for Joe and maybe other listeners that aren't. And by the way, thank you if your hashtag still listening <laughs> because this is where it gets fun. Uh, so so Joe Mad Libs. It so it's basically there is kind of a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs that's created with with blank spaces for different things like nouns verbs adjectives things like that and you'll just give the words not knowing what the sentences or paragraphs are going to be and then i'll read it back so i'll just rotate between you guys if that works yay i know and i picked a short one so this one won't take very long so and I don't know. You guys can take this however you want, but I was thinking it would be fun if we did stuff that came from the AI written TNG script, but it could be whatever Mm -hmm. you want it to be, really. Whatever you think would be funny. So, Amy, a place. Uh, SETI 5. SETI Alpha 5? Yeah, that one. Thank you. So exciting as I pause to write Mm -hmm. it down. So, Joe, a noun. Okay, you can't take this long to think each time. It's the first word that comes to your mind. Oh, do oh, okay. First of all, I didn't know this. These rules weren't weren't mentioned. Uh, okay, I don't play it that way. I always look around the room like Joe was. But go ahead. Sewing machine. 
Okay. So the board's right in front of me. Amy, a silly word. Doofus. You're a doofus. <laughs> okay. Joe, a number. 42. I'm so disappointed. I know. That's okay. That's okay. You came close we'll, to 47. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do an important one from Hitchhiker's Guide instead of Star Trek. And it's my age. I'm uh, 42. Oh, okay. Is that what it yeah. is? All right. So, Amy, a verb. What's a verb? Warping. Warping was a verb. Well, I'll say warp. It's not an ing verb, but um, Joe, a plural noun. A plural. It just means more than one. I know. I know. I'm <laughs> I can like, pluralize it if you want. <laughs> um, um, rugs. Okay. Boring. I don't know. I've never played this. My first time. I'm. That's okay. Maybe we, I mean, there's a bunch here. We can play I'm nervous. I'm thinking, yeah. what's a noun? What's a verb? What's, <laughs> what's, what's an adjective? Yeah, neither of us are English teachers. <laughs> I know, I'm like, this is, it's got me sweating. Okay, fine. You use the language though, right? Okay. <laughs> so Amy, a noun. Oh, yeah. Nouns are hard. You're right, Joe. Uh, We're going to go with hotel. Joe, a subjunctive okay. preposition. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it doesn't get that okay. hard. A plural noun. Another plural noun. Oh. I know. Um, a plural noun. Uh, starships. Okay. So, Amy, an animal. Tardigrade. Oh, I like that. Don't give me another plural noun. And finally, no, it'll be different. Okay. An adjective. Adjective. You're describing Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I try to think of a good adjective. Um, well, an adjective usually describes a noun, actually. Oh, yes. I was thinking <laughs> adverb. My bad. Um, adjective. Um, beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. All right. Okay, you guys ready to hear your creation? Yes. yes please. Okay. SETI Alpha 5, the final sewing machine. These are the voyages of the starship Doofus. Its 42-year mission to warp strange new rugs, to seek out new hotels and new starships, to boldly go where no tardigrade has gone before. Cue beautiful music. Aww. I know it's kind of aw, not. That's totally awesome. Funny. Okay, well, there you go, listeners. Star Trek Mad Libs. Guys, when we play this next time, I expect more off the wall stuff from you. Yeah, okay. you've got cool. it. I like the fact yeah. that the, we're going to warp rugs because that yeah, sounds that like good. something you do to a rug. Now, like yeah. the warping weft yeah. of a fabric. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, weft. That's a good weft. One. Okay, so now that you've heard us play Star Trek Mad Libs, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show or maybe the words you would have used and we can tell you what the Mad Lib would be. Uh, and there are many ways for you to do that. The place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. 
Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So Joe, where can people contact you when you are not cloning yourself and for other people? Oh. Hmm. Um, obviously, there wouldn't be four other people. There would just be me seven billion times. Nine billion? Just a lot of times. Yes, yes. Uh, Nine billion, all Joe. All, yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, when I'm not doing that, you can get me on the Babel Conference. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com, or you can get me on Twitter at joejoe77uk. Justin, where can people contact you when you're not trying to spell your name with the letters G, A, T, and C? Oh, those are the letters of the genetic code, mm-hmm. aren't they? Guanine, adenine, thiazine, and something else. <laughs> thiamine. No, Cyprusine. guanine, I, I adenine, really thiamine, cytosine. Ah, there you go. Well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting The Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast with my friends Chrissy DeClerc-Salagi and Brandon Shamatala. When this episode comes out on January 14th, we will have already seen and talked about a Picard short trek, Children of Mars. So look for that. Hopefully it's dropped a couple days before this. Uh, and we're going to talk also about every Picard episode as it airs starting on January 23rd slash 24th. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. There's just one of me. I haven't cloned my Twitter account. Maybe I should do that. Would that be fun? Mm, do it. Maybe not. Uh, and you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not thinking of populating the world with all teacher clones? Oh, that would be great. Um, can teach a bunch of teachers. Yeah. Well, you can find me here in the Babel Conference. I am also on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And I am have a new podcast called All Good Things oh. on the United oh. Federation of Podcasts. Is this the Network. first time this is being uh announced or well, because it, I haven't I heard the previous episode week. yet. Okay. So. Listeners, I haven't heard the previous episode because it hasn't come out yet. So apologies, Amy, but that's exciting. Wait, tell me more about this podcast. Yes. So we are going to be talking all things Trek. It's That's why it's oh. called All Good Things. So I'm not being limited to just you're not just going to talk about all good things every the episode. I know, every right? Week. I should. So, <laughs> you know, I get to talk about the new Picard and Disco nice. and Next Gen and the other series that I don't ever get to talk about. So that's uh, awesome. Find me over there. It's with my good friend Patrick Devlin. We're going to have a bunch of uh, guest hosts on. So I'm really excited that it's out. I expect you, because I don't know if you've watched all the animated series, but I expect you to watch all of it and to talk about it. Yeah, I'm halfway <laughs> through, it. so I just all have right. a few more left to watch on the animated, well, and, and I enjoy blow it. through that in half a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. But that's really exciting, Amy. Looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. 
We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Your method of communication is most elegant and quite beautiful. Perhaps it's your imperfections which make you so unique, but I am in love with you, Deanna Troy, and I always will be. That's Connor from the Masterpiece Society. I'm making Amy get all. was my outline ah. oh my gosh sorry it wasn't my outline <laughs> every time joe it's not that when you make a mistake and i don't say anything is it amy nelson <laughs> <laughs> you're a mean First lady last name <laughs>